You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Tonight, we are going to continue. Um, We are on lesson four of our series on celebrating Jesus in the tabernacle. Um, And we have one week left before we conclude. And I pray this has been a blessing to you so far. And um, our hope is to give you insight into both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I love studies like this because if we will allow them to, they enrich our walk with God in so many ways. They challenge us to study more. I don't know about you, but the more I learn about the Word of God, the more I see and God shows me, the more I want to see, the more I want to learn about the Word of God. Because the Bible is active and alive. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And so when we interact with God's Word, when we hear it taught, when we pick it up on our own, God speaks to us in surround sound if we will allow him to do that. And God's presence through his word becomes so tangible to us, becomes so personal to us, even outside of this sanctuary. And I think that is so exciting. I'm so motivated by the thought that God would share himself with me in my private time. I don't have to come here to hear from God, but God will speak to me in the same ways. And I hope that you know that the time and the effort that you give to the word of the Lord, whatever it might be in this particular season of your life, is time well spent and it is time best spent. Amen. And so as we began our study of the tabernacle, we talked about the fact that God's purpose for assigning this humongous task to our our guy Moses was for a very simple purpose that for the first time God wanted to dwell among his people Exodus 25 verse 8 tells us let them make me this is God speaking a sanctuary that I may dwell among them And so the purpose of the tabernacle is very clear and very simple as we see it. But as we've gotten into our study, we have realized that the process and the details of the tabernacle were anything but simple, right? And herein we see this part of God's divine nature that he cares about the details. And I'm thankful that God cares about the details, not just about his house in particular, but if God cares that much and is that intentional about how he wants to interact with us, how much more is he committed to the details of our lives? He's mindful of them. He's careful in his planning of them. And I am so thankful I serve a God like that. And so everything in the tabernacle had a very specific assignment in the plan of God. And as we have begun to look into the colors, the metals, the gate, even the skins that they used to create the tabernacle, we quickly see that God was not motivated solely by the function of all of this. But like the feast, we see God's intentionality with every piece and the symbolism that it would provide to his people. The tabernacle provides beautiful, powerful illustrations of God's plan for mankind. And specifically for us through this series, we are seeing Jesus in the tabernacle. The tabernacle details point our attention to him clearly. And this week will be no exception. And I am 
so excited about it, I may holler at you, okay? I'm just going to warn you. I know this is a sleepy, fall, dreary Wednesday night, and obviously our out before dark guarantee has been lifted. Kind of a bittersweet thing, but it is gone, sister. That is correct. Um, But I may get excited about this because we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. But I want you to know that presenting all of this to you is not to wow you or to overwhelm you or, God forbid, to confuse you about uh, the Old Testament in any way. But my prayer has been that, number one, you would see the intentionality, intentionality of God all throughout his plan in both the Old and New Testament, how these two testaments work together seamlessly, divinely. Only God could plan all of this and execute it so perfectly. And that thirdly, we would appreciate more personally all that Jesus did when he submitted to the cross and he died for us. And so what a process that Moses was trusted with. What a leader. So many steps, so many details committed to his soul care and oversight. All for one purpose, for God's people to be closer to him. And so tonight we're going to make our way further into the tabernacle itself. And Pastor T has done a great job these last couple of weeks of leading us through the outer court. And we looked at the white fence around the perimeter of the tabernacle area. And last week we studied the outer court, specifically the bronze altar and the bronze laver. And so tonight we are going to move further still into the second area of the tabernacle plan, the holy place. And so what I want to make sure we're aware of in this whole process is that we are getting closer to God's presence in the tabernacle. We're not there yet. And I think it's hard for us to wrap our brains around that kind of reality because it's so foreign to us, right? We don't have a priest. We don't have, you know, these seven pieces of furniture that we have to, you know, go through a process to get to God. We just come boldly before the throne of grace now, right? That's what what Paul said. And yet what we have to understand and have in our minds as we're studying this is this was not the reality for humanity at this point in history, It was a fearful thing. It was a trepidatious thing to approach the mercy seat. And only one person could do that. And that was the priest. And so that's hard for us to imagine. There was no perfect sacrifice for sin at this time. And that is why it was this way. So this process, according to God's plan, had to be followed to the letter in order for people for God's people to find forgiveness and for them to be put in right relationship with him. So come with me now. Use your imagination, please, as we get closer, as you can see on the screen, to the holiest of holies, because that's where we're going to end next week, and I'm already excited about that. The most holy place is our destination, where God's presence could be found just above the mercy seat. And so with all that in mind, where we are headed, let us now go into the holy place, as you see on the screen. The first thing that I want us to understand as we move from the outer court into the holy place tonight is that the only metal used in this particular area is gold, as you can plainly see. Here in the holy place are three pieces of furniture that we're going to study tonight together. The golden lampstand, Some people call it the golden candlestick, but that's kind of misleading in terms of its function. So the golden lampstand, the golden table of showbread, and the golden altar 
of incense. Now remember, at this point, to get to this point, the priest is coming from the outer court. He first makes a sacrifice on the, on the bronze altar. Then he has to wash his hands in the bronze laver. This is a messy business we're talking about right here. And now the priest is stepping away from the outside part of the tabernacle into the inside part of the tabernacle. And from this point on, everything is now hidden from public view. So try to imagine with me what it would have been like to be a priest and to walk into this area knowing no one else is going to follow you. No one else is going to experience what you are about to experience. Stepping into this place so holy, so sacred, it can only be seen and experienced by this priest in this moment. Here in this holy place, the furnishings are all in gold. They are pure and they serve a divine purpose. Picture with me the beauty of the atmosphere, the wonder of the privilege that that individual had on that day. Surely the priest felt himself transition to a spiritual realm as the curtain would close behind him and he would find himself into this holy place. He had been cleansed. He had offered a sacrifice for sin. He had washed himself from all traces of that gory, dirty process. The priest had been purified, and he was now ready to make his way one step closer to a holy God that was waiting for him above the mercy seat. And so as the priests walk in, this curtain that we talked about closes behind him. And the room is eliminated by one thing, and it's the glow of this lampstand. There it stands, and this light reveals the golden walls and the ornate tapestries that hung on the wall of scarlet and blue. The priest could now see the other two pieces, the golden table, the showbread is already ready. You see, the lamplight was the only way that he could see these other things. Otherwise, it was complete darkness. Here, he also would see the altar of incense that we see at the far corner. The altar would provide yet another aroma that would quickly eliminate the stench of death that had been left behind in the outer court. The priest is now in the holy place. And according to Lisa Taylor, the author of our resource for this series, the furnishings here in the holy place were both practical and symbolic. And so let us look quickly at these three pieces of furniture that we're looking at together. The golden lampstand, as you see, stood on the south side of the room. It was shaped like an almond tree. It had six branches, a central shaft, as you see right there, and a trunk. And these branches and the shaft were designed to each hold seven bowls filled with olive oil. Hence why it's really not a candlestick, for they actually sit in these bowls. So if you're like me, I've always been kind of intrigued and curious on why this thing is shaped the way that it is. But when you understand that the oil basically was creating a reservoir of sorts because the concept was in God's plan that this light would never burn out. It would burn continuously. And so this lampstand provides the only light that we find in the holy place. The light of God's word illuminates our path and is a parallel that we see here. It helps us to see 
even in darkness. And just like that, olive oil was supplied in a very strategic way by those seven bowls sitting on the lampstand to ensure the light burned continuously and without interruption. So God's Spirit is meant to help you and I. God's Spirit is meant to empower us to follow Him even in dark times. And so it is when we spend time in God's Word. David declared, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Then Jesus would say in John 14, verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus goes on to explain further in verse 26, but the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Spirit and the Word work together in our lives. Just like this olive oil in those bowls served to keep that lampstand lit continuously. Let's move now to the golden table of showbread. I find this especially interesting. This golden table stood directly opposite of the lampstand, as you saw in the first picture. And so that means it stood on the north side. And again, the bread on the table was only visible to you because of the light that the lampstand provided. There were 12 loaves on the table always. Can you guess why? One for each tribe of Israel. Isn't that cool? This bread symbolized God's provision for their needs. And had God not proven himself every day for a long time by supplying manna and double manna the day before the Sabbath, God had always taken care of them. And so these 12 loaves were set out once a week. It was displayed before God each day until the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath day, the priest was to consume it. And I think the term uh, showbread is intriguing. The Hebrew word for showbread literally means face bread. That's kind of weird, right? That's interesting. But this is because this bread was to always be before God's face or God's presence. In fact, another term you've probably heard for showbread is bread of the presence. Doesn't that sound holy? I love that. But the implication here is very clear that within God's presence, there is always provision for his people. And so on the Sabbath, the priest would eat this bread. And this was the first time that God and man would share a table. Oh my. Thankfully, this would not be the last time that God would share a table with man. The table, you see, is a place of fellowship. And this table of the presence this bread of the presence, rather, was a preview of what, of what was to come on earth and eventually what would be in heaven. Jesus would institute what we refer to as communion the night before he was crucified. There he shared bread with his disciples as a symbol of fellowship and his sacrifice for them. Mark chapter 14 records, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, now listen here, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus let them know that night that the meal they shared was only a preview of what was to come. You see, the table of showbread was more than just a foreshadowing of the Last Supper, but it was ultimately a glimpse of heavenly things. The table is an illustration of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where you and I will all sit together at God's amazing table in heaven one day. Hallelujah. And this brings us to our third and final piece in the holy place, the golden altar of incense. This last piece of furniture in the holy place was simply an altar. And this altar also had four horns, as we saw with the bronze altar from last week. This piece of furniture is especially significant because of its proximity to the most holy place, as you can see behind it, that curtain there. The altar here in the holy place, however, was very different in its purpose, not just because it was made of gold instead of bronze, but this golden altar was made solely to burn incense only. It was not to be a place of sacrifice, and that is very significant for us. You see, the incense that was burned on this altar had a very specific formula, and again, we have some of those details Very fascinating to consider, but we won't spend time on that here tonight. But the smoke that this incense created was fragrant. And it was to be burned in the morning and in the evening. Again, significant. This sweet fragrance drifted from the holy place into the holiest of holies. And for us, this incense represents prayer and worship. For they are to be offered to God continuously. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 11, God says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense or worship or prayer shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then again, much later, in John's vision of heaven, he sees 24 elders bow to the lamb, holding golden bowls full of incense. And John lets us know what that incense actually is. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, he says, these bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that encouraging to know that your prayers do go somewhere? And they never die, and they burn forever before the throne of God. And so tonight, if you've lost someone that you love, know tonight that their prayers for you still burn before the throne of God. That is what John saw. That is how important your prayers are in the mind of God. Amen. And so just as the incense that burned on the golden altar morning and evening would create a sweet aroma and set the atmosphere in the holy place, so our worship and our prayers change the atmosphere here on earth and reach into heaven. 
again, we see a mirroring, not just of an earthly reality, but a heavenly reality for us. God's tabernacle plan was not limited to our experiences in the presence of God only when we are here on this planet. But it was a taste, it was a word picture, an illustration, if you will, of God communicating to us what heaven would be like, what we will experience there. I want to give us a quote from Lisa Taylor because I think it's so profound. Within the holy place, God provided his people with a table always filled with bread to fill their hunger. A lamp always burning to light their way. And an altar always ready to receive their prayers. Isn't that powerful? To see God's provision for us in the tabernacle. That he knows what we need. He's ready to hear us petition him. He has a lighted way for us to get into his presence anytime. Thank you, Lord. And so quickly, I want to obviously point you to Jesus in this holy place. I have no doubt that you've already figured some of it out. And I'm going to tell you anyways, because it's awesome. So let's look at Jesus and this golden table of showbread. In both the Old and New Testaments, we see bread used as a metaphor for God's word and for his provision. In fact, Jesus took it a step further by identifying himself as the bread of life. And in our study of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we see how Jesus used the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 to teach them that he was the bread of life. It's a phrase that he uses four times in John chapter 6. And I'm going to read for you verses 32 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Isn't that cool? He's talking about manna. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Sign us up, Jesus. Where is it? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus made it clear that more than they needed him to just feed their bodies that day, and there was a lot of people who were really hungry, but Jesus wanted them to know that he alone was able to feed and care for their souls. And so in both testaments, the Bible makes clear to us that we cannot exist apart from Jesus Christ. He is the sustainer of our very lives. And so the table of the showbread is a powerful illustration to us of God's provision, of God's power in our lives, and his presence in our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's look at Jesus and the golden lampstand. I bet you've guessed this one already. But the New Testament frequently uses the word light in reference to Jesus. In fact, John's gospel, which you know I'm very partial to, uses this word picture more than anyone else. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to drop down to verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Yes, it does. Even now. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. Amen. John also records that Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And again, in our feast study, we learned that Jesus stands up and makes this powerful declaration in the context of a feast that they observed by carrying torches into Jerusalem. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His very essence is truth. He alone is the revealer of what is true. He defines it. His word defines it. He has a monopoly on the truth because it is central to who he is. And so just like the golden lampstand was the only source of light in the holy place, so Jesus is the only light in this world. And he will also be the only source of light in heaven. Hallelujah. Revelation 21, John tells us, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. I want to go where Jesus is the light. There won't be a tabernacle. There won't be a temple. There won't be a church anymore. You know why? Because he's going to be all those things. And we're going to be in that glorious light forever and ever. Amen. And then finally, Jesus and the golden altar of incense. Let's look at this together. During Jesus' ministry, he prayed for all types of people, the sick, the demon-possessed, the marginalized, just like Isaiah said he would, he made intercession for the transgressors. And the Bible is full of intercessors. Remember, Abraham stood in the gap for the righteous that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses stood between God and Israel when God had just had it with all of them. Esther interceded on behalf of the Jewish nation. Joseph saved the ancient world from famine. However, none compare to the intercessor that all of us have in Jesus Christ. His ultimate act of intercession was for all of humanity and was his death on the cross. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 say, For there is one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest. He is our intercessor. I think one of the most powerful things you can know about what Jesus did when he was here was that the Bible tells us he prayed for us. And so if you're struggling with fear, and discouragement, I implore you 
to read John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Read the words that Jesus prayed over you and I and remind yourself that you have an advocate in the God you serve. He is interceding for us. And you know, we live in a time where it is hard to know what to pray. I know for some of us, we've been praying the same things for a long time. We haven't seen much fruit of it. We haven't seen the results that we want. And so that's why Romans tells us the Spirit can make intercession through us when we don't know what to pray because the Bible lets us know there will be times when we do not know what to pray. Maybe it's because we don't have the uh, wisdom or the insight to know what is best. Maybe it's because we have nothing left to say. And yet Jesus is our intercessor. His spirit works through us to pray for us. And our prayers burn as incense in the presence of the Lord. And so now we come to our app time. And the question that we pose to you this evening, which piece of furniture and its representation of Jesus means the most to you right now? Is it the lampstand? Because Jesus is the light of the world? Is it the table of the bread of the presence because he is the bread of life? Or is it the altar, the idea that Jesus is our intercessor, that, his, that our prayers are heard by him? All right, so big question to consider, and I'll give you a few minutes to do that because we have the time. And so go ahead and discuss that with someone around you. Don't let anybody be left out. I'll let you wrap up what you're saying in this moment, and we'll move to our conclusion. Thank you for your participation. I think you were answering the question. I hope you were. But I want to just make um, very direct application here as it pertains to the church. I, I hope you know, if we haven't said it yet, that the tabernacle is not just a type of Christ, but it is a type of the church, that its functions represent what the church is supposed to be in the earth. And so tonight, the three things that we've looked at in particular, did you know that the church is also pictured as a lampstand in the book of Revelation? Isn't that amazing? How consistent these themes and these principles, these concepts that God gave to Moses are all throughout Scripture. And then Jesus shows up and embodies all of them. Just incredible. But you know, Jesus didn't just say that he was the light of the world. He said that we are the light of the world. And that's challenging. As you see this lampstand in the context of the tabernacle, 
what a holy place that was. How it was in proximity to the very presence of God. Jesus shows up and doesn't just identify himself with that amazing piece of furniture and what it represented. But he points to you and I and says, you are the light of the world too. I feel very challenged by that tonight. Then with the table. You know, the church meets at the Lord's table. And everyone is equal at the communion table. Because all of us need a Savior. I think of that old song, there's room at the cross for you. Because we all stand on level ground, as they say, at the foot of the cross. All of us need God's provision. We need His power. We need His presence in our lives. All the things that the table represents. And then finally, the altar. The incense illustrates what happens when we pray. When the church prays, it creates a pleasing aroma to God. I think it's amazing to realize, I don't think it's a coincidence, that the incense was to be burned morning and evening. And over and over again in the book of Psalms, David tells us, morning and at night, Will I praise you? Morning and evening, I will pray. I will seek the face of God. We see this theme throughout Scripture that says worship and prayer is not something that is limited to the tabernacle for us, but rather we are to embody these things in our lives outside of this wonderful place. I invite you to stand with me. I feel the hand of the Lord very strongly. In these three things, I don't know what you need tonight. I don't know if you need light, you need direction, you need God's word to illuminate something to you for your understanding, for your help right now. I don't know, maybe you need that bread, that provision, that tangible presence of God right now in your life. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to find an altar and recommit yourself to prayer and to worship. Maybe even to corporate worship because of all that has happened in the last year and a half has maybe stolen your joy. Maybe it's taken away the liberty that you once had in the presence of God with his people for one reason or the other. I do not know. But what I feel in my heart, and I have felt all day, is that these concepts, these things we are looking at, are more than just Jewish traditions. They're more than just archaic elements of the law that we no longer need to consider. But the New Testament is full of references to these powerful images and concepts because we need the lamp of God's light in our lives We need to eat at his table. We need to stand before an altar, not just to make a sacrifice and ask God for forgiveness of sins, but to stand before his presence and offer our worship and offer our prayers morning and evening as God established with Moses. Those things are as relevant and as important now as they have ever been. I believe we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yes. 
And so these things are not limited to the Old Testament. They're certainly not limited to the New Testament. They're not even limited to this planet. But I hope what you've seen is they are a taste of things to come. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Look at the tabernacle. Study it on your own. See Jesus in the tabernacle in all the ways that he's illustrated, all the things that he told the people to do and to not do, to interact with him, and you will be ready for heaven, my friend. And if you're like me, studying this stuff makes me want to go there even more. A place where he's the light? Are you kidding me? I want to see that. I want to experience that. I want to sit at the Lord's table. I want to see those golden bowls with my prayers in them. Prayers that family members have prayed for you and I. The prayers that birthed this church into existence and have sustained them for the last year and a half. That is our privilege. It is our opportunity. Amen. And so whatever your need is, I'm going to invite you, if you want to, to stretch your hands to heaven and say, God, give me a revelation of who you are through all of this. Lord, there are so many needs represented in this house, but I feel the touch of heaven in this place. God, you did all of this to show us the way that you wanted to be known by us. Not just in ancient days, not just in the book of Acts, Lord, but in this present evil day that we find ourselves living in. This truth is for us. It's meant to empower us, to help lead us into the presence that we need so desperately. It is to motivate us and give us the hope of heaven, to remind us that this world is not our home. We were not made to be happy or content by the things of this world. But just as we were created in the context of eternity and unbroken fellowship with you, so we are yearning. The earth itself is groaning for that day when we are brought together again in your holy presence and that we will see you as you are. We will be reunited with loved ones. Sickness will be gone. There will be no discouragement in heaven. There will be no death in heaven. There will be no tears and depression in heaven. For you are the light of this world and of the light of the world to come. Thank you, Jesus, that I can know you. Thank you, Jesus, that I can approach your throne anytime anywhere for anything that I need. And so God, I pray that we would leave this place with the assurance of your great presence, that we have your full attention, that you are able to provide for every need that we have. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, 
or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.